Hello, and welcome to Discovery Stage, a podcast where we seek to explore and share creative endeavour, artistic practice, writing practice, myths, and muses. My name is Shirley. Thank you for joining, and I hope you enjoy. You will perhaps know that this is the first Discovery Stage episode of 2021. Um, It's admittedly a late launch. There are a few reasons for this. A lockdown Scottish winter can be a long and a gloomy affair, which affected my ability to focus and express myself clearly. Words and written form sort of abandoned me. I found it difficult to get through reading a book, really, um, and my daily writing practice dried up. I know this has been common for lots of those who write this winter, so I decided to just lean into it and allow the break. I was able to communicate pictorially, however, and my drawing and painting practice made quite a staggering leap forward. I allowed myself to be consumed, subsumed by that aspect of my creative practice. I think we need to be kind to ourselves for now and allow our instincts to guide us through this uncertain landscape. I've been really very nervous about getting back to this. I am certain that I have nothing to say. Um, I'm nervous about finding my voice again. Can I still speak? Can I follow a thought to its end? I've comforted myself with the fact that you all will be in similar boats and will empathise. And we can sail these stormy waters together. So the best way to tackle fear is to embrace it, name it, welcome it, befriend it. So here we are podcasting again. Onward into a world of words and language, the lull of voices, stories and poetics. Today's episode was supposed to be about the weather in art and in myth, metaphor and literal. I felt that for all of us, the sky and sunsets, the wind, the rain, the snow, were often the only things we were properly able to feel during our winter lockdown. In simply a tactile sense, touch deprivation suddenly made the tug of the wind on my coat or the rain trickling down my face feel intimate and vital, something to brace against. I would occasionally set my alarm for 5am over the winter, I'd have coffee and a bit of toast and then head out in the dark to go and watch the sunrise someplace. And the beauty of the whitened streets during the snow provided feelings that seemed to be much deeper than the usual excitement of snow this winter. Um, just something different was, was, was needed for us. We were and are all leaning back into nature and the elements in this our time of need. Going out for a walk in the rain and then home for a cup of tea often comprised the entirety of our day. And for some of us, me included, we often probably thought, maybe this is enough. Weather was what I was thinking. Um, Then I listened to a poem by Natasha Kinsella and decided that really, I just wanted more of that. Where I'd been struggling with words so badly, hers seemed a wild and a clear call. Her poem contained tidal swells of birth and creation, and it just sang out to the mother in me. 
I decided to get in touch with Natasha and ask if she could contribute more of her writing and to just center the episode around her work really. Um, I also include in this episode a little bit my own writing and um, discussion, a little bit discussion and a prompt about the figure drawing and the art I've been doing. So the episode kind of morphed into something different and not weather related. I think that the weather stuff still hangs there in the back of my mind and we may return to it. But for the moment, I just really wanted to share with you Natasha's work first and foremost um, and maybe talk a little bit about um, figurative art. So first, I would like to share with you Natasha Kinsella's poem, New Mother. I visualised the weight, saw the force from sea and land collide. I imagined the many different swells, all the while fooled, beaming at all the people coming in like waving flags. There is nothing like it in the world. A wild beast biting down in union with the body moving back and forth in the most perfectly alive Feminine battle. After the triumph, the glow slowly started to dissolve. A fog thickened, soaked me through, clothes moved over my body awkwardly, faces came in, abnormally large moon illusions hugging the horizon. I wanted to be mothered as a mother, untangled, washed in warm water, in a house full of flowers. Short, sharp, lucid dreams. A safe harbour. Boats are anchored, full of people slap happy. I am archiving dated photographs and folders. I cannot reach the edge of her perfectly squared ear. I am enveloped with her in a weatherless room. Only nurses come. There. I continue to grow her outside my body now, exposed, under surveillance. Still. In my shrinking womb, I know I carry parts of her inside me, a tree rooted in the earth. I'd like to now share a little excerpt from a poem by Theodore Rotka for no other reason than it's just been inspiring me in preparation for this podcast. In a dark time, the eye begins to see. I meet my shadow in the deepening shade. I hear my echo in the echoing wood. A lord of nature weeping into a tree. I live between the heron and the wren, beast of the hill, serpents of the den. I would like to now share a bit of writing by me. Um, 
it's just a thing, sort of short story. Um, it's quite short, it's called Ephemera. My daughter found a fallen blackbird nest in the garden when she was three years old, carried it home and raptured as if the universe had unveiled its mysteries. Her small chubby hands proffered up for me to look as her face beamed triumphant. Bits of broken shell were stuck on the inside, snatches of feather, chewing gum foil and what looked like a bus ticket, all woven against it amongst the twigs. It was placed upon the mantelpiece where it remained, protected furiously against threats of the bin for years, until almost completely crumbled to dust. Then we put it back at the bottom of the garden in the spot where we'd found it. Today, the sun is everywhere. Everything is transparent, still and ribbons of mist cling close to the earth. From the mist rise trees like turreted ruins, like so many ancient things. The autumn sun smoulders. In the crop brown fields ahead, the crick crack of crows waddle their noisy patrol. There are so many crows and ravens here, corvids, fat wood pigeons, gulls, and if you're quick sighted, a buzzard or a kite. I sit on my cagoule, leaning on a gnarled old yew tree, surrounded by the tangled masses of withering foxgloves, which are starting to slope exhaustedly earthwards. In the distance, the three bridges, layered and, mis and misted, weave themselves into one indecipherable engineered mass, and the sky which arches above them quivers with gulls. Above the gulls, a plane flies a neat white streak across the open, vaulted blue. Above a rustle in the trees, a squirrel darts out of the foxglove to my left, swiftly followed by a second, they zigzag, chasing each other down the path and up and over the wall which runs around the perimeter of the field. Then they disappear into the undergrowth and up another tree. As the trees lose their leaves, they reveal crow's nests, big tufted things built into the joints of the strongest branches. They are added to year after year. The crows come back to the same nests again and again if they successfully raise young. Eagles, eagles do the same. They add to the old nests year after year. They pair bond over the refurbishments, sometimes adding up to a metre in diameter or height each year until one day inevitably the whole thing collapses under its own weight. I don't know why the word nest is used with such warmth and idealism linguistically. Why the word nest conjures images of warmth and security when they are often horribly open to the elements and so often fraught with folly. Sticks and spit, bits of wrapper and foil, built high and buffeted by the wind and the rain. And then to sit there determined and beleaguered with chicks which want feeding endlessly, endlessly. The pages of the notepad which rests on my lap flutter in the slight wind. I look down at what I've written. Sink into inertia while silently and impotently grinding your teeth. That alone gives it birth and form. The neurotic knows better how to take a stand. Mother is an animal thing. I'm writing, words scribbled on paper, purposeless as yet, thoughts and ideas and half-formed things. They unfurl across the pages, they fill notepads, a hurried lexicon, homeless words and phrases, all looking for somewhere to abide. 
Words like trampled fantasies are written and Yom Kippur. There are things I don't remember writing. For example, I will build an imaginary house out of all the rooms I've ever slept in. And a poet is more suggestive than a philosopher. And also, I sit cross-legged at the bottom of the swimming pool and scream fit to burst to see if anyone will hear me. I collect words and thoughts like some people collect stamps or china. I cup them in my hands as my daughter cupped the blackbird nest. I am infested with words, fascinated by the parasitical things. We all are. Language tethers us. Without it, we would be lost. With it, we draw the essence of things from the shadows. I layer words like sticks and bits of wool and fur foil. I press down with spittle and I layer some more. I collect more words and thoughts and press them down with the others and with the sticks and the foil and the wool. And then there I sit, surrounded by the tumult of them and not quite sure what to do next. That was ephemera. I was looking through um, bits of my old writing when I was struggling to find words. I just wanted to find sort of inspiration and things and I'd sort of forgotten about that story and I quite enjoyed it. So I just thought I'd share it today since I don't have any collections of new words. <laughs> so next um, we'll have Natasha again. Um, first she will give you, um, talk to you a little bit about her background and her experiences, her themes of writing and a little bit about her creative practice. And then she will read two of her poems, the first, Overripe, and the second, Reflections on Childhood. So here again is Natasha Kinsella. Hi, my name's Natasha Kinsella. I am a mother, a poet, a writer, and I work in community arts. I was born in Belfast and I grew up in Oma, County Tyrone, in a big Irish Catholic family. I went to Liverpool to get a degree in creative writing and literature at John Moore's and after that I spent some time writing for some independent grassroots magazines. Following that I did a Masters in Art, Aesthetics and Cultural Institutions at the University of Liverpool. Here I discovered to my pleasure the world of philosophy. And I noticed how philosophy and poetry together both aim at a truth. But I suppose it's at a truth based on different perceptions. And I was interested in how these perceptions could be distorted. So I enjoyed playing around with words for a while. Then I moved to London and I worked in a few galleries and studio spaces there. I then arrived in Scotland to deliver arts-based community outreach programmes in Edinburgh and Glasgow. I was working with artists and writers at the time in communities that made me feel connected to the creative process and I became really excited about writing again. So I suppose here I am now and not long ago I became a mother. When I birthed my daughter, I genuinely feel I underwent some sort of metaphysical transformation. I read a book a few years ago by Jenny Haval. I'd highly recommend it. It's called Paradise Rot. It's a novel about identity and belonging. The novel is deeply lyrical, and when I reread this novel postpartum, 
partly because it was short and time was brittle. It had a nuclear effect on me. I started realising that in my postpartum state I had become hypersensitive. I suppose I'd always been a sensitive person. It was something that started young inside me, demanding more from relationships to feel satisfied or, you know, noticing and being affected by details, the light in a room or the way the clothes moved against my skin or, I suppose, the way the sun hit the leaves on the trees, that kind of thing. I guess it's a cursed gift. But now things were happening to me on a much more intense level. Memories from childhood appeared vividly and I began reflecting on my journey to becoming a mother. Like for many, it wasn't an easy trip. All of this was happening during a period of deep isolation, well, lockdown, and with a serious lack of sleep. You meet the darker side then, your studied thoughts and their extravagance in the middle of the night when you feel like you're the only living adult. It's this concern of unrest and unresolved emotions that was creating an inflamed wounds in my, in my mind and gave me a desire to pick up my pen. Emerging from this state, I realised that childbirth had empowered me. And although I was experiencing this new bodily, earthly and at times overwhelming feelings, a new confidence was beginning to gather in me as I navigated my new identity as mother. Creativity has a deeply healing effect on the self and having the ability to use words to develop a sense of oneself gives us such freedom. These poems come from inside me. They explore mental health, motherhood, identity and childhood. I'm currently creating a collection of poems to be released early next year. A boundless hopelessness galloped on. Each loss a crack in tempered glass, a red mark on the calendar. A choir of mothering angels bellowed, floral-gowned Madonnas tending to their blooms. The watch clock mania. The disaster always unfolds slowly. The seasickness plummets, leaving a flowerless spring in my shipwrecked body. A stone collected from the beach, my furious full moon glow. That year, the apples rotted on the boughs. Later, we found they had fallen, their decayed cores decomposed. We burned the calendar and I carved their dates secretly in my womb. He carried my overripe body through that winter. There, next to the evening fires, warmed my frayed mind and conjured a bountiful future. I was a blue-veiled Virgin Mary in the school play, a perfectly staged red rose. Spent soaked summers bagging the turf, 
serve the sandwiches at the wake. Big white weddings went up in smoke. Invisible lines ran through the town. The songs of independence would ignite the night. A dizzy girl child, the blackberries tasted so sweet from the bush. The window opened, the wicked air rushed in. A dark sheep on the other side of the passing place. Rows of generations bowed, whispering in mysterious languages. The paths to the graves, standing at the foot of the squared cement, I watched as they rearranged the plastic flowers. Conversations danced up and down to pass the time, the newborn news on a loop. The pubs across the road didn't return the men, the dinner in the oven, the roast gone dry, a yellow carnation on the mantelpiece. I want to talk now a little bit about drawing the figure. Over the winter, my art practice organically seemed to tug and pull me in the direction of drawing and painting the human figure. And as I became more immersed in figurative art practice, uh, a wash of deep feeling came over me. Um, Love, I think it was, for our fragility and our strength for the beauty of our flawed and marked bodily selves. I knew that artistically I had found my way home. It's a long winding path to find yourself coming back to drawing the figure. It is often, usually, the first thing we draw in babyhood and then the thing we struggle with so much later in life. I have a picture that my daughter drew of me when she was less than a year old. It's like a big fat jelly topped head with wispy tendrilled limbs and all unmistakably human. Egon Scheele said of his self-portraiture, the one who expresses is the artist, the living person is unique. Buy, not pictures, not products, not work. Pictures out of me, not me. Purchase me, fragments. In his self-portraiture, Shields shows himself in paranormal states of consciousness and emotionally charged poses, gesticulating and distorted and other times soft and receptive. He investigates the self as programme in a series of multi-layered portraiture. We can spill into it, the self as endlessly beguiling, Elements of narcissists, but with your own self becoming all selves. Your subjective regard expanded out through representation to entail all of humanity. Narcissists calling us into the pool. Come, come, the water is lovely. When was the last time you tried to draw yourself? It takes a deeper type of looking. We represent ourselves constantly now, snapping selfies and tweaking the filter, which I quite like, actually. Um, But drawing yourself is just for you. It's a private investigation. Start with a hand or even with your thumb. 
thumbs are all different. I think you can almost tell, you can almost tell what someone will look like just by seeing their thumb. Draw your feet. Sit on the floor, feet out in front of you and draw one. Feet are lovely to draw and they're a little bit simpler than hands. Draw the curve of your calf if you want to start easy. Lay over a book to get a nice squish or an indent. Look long and find a line and draw it. Fragment yourself and draw yourself in parts. Elbows are amazing. Go and draw your elbow. So this really is my project for you. I'm sort of doing it myself um, in a roundabout way. I'm making monoprints and linoprints um, of self-portraiture, um, graphite self-portraits and drawings. But what I suggest you do and what I'm about to start is to get or to make a sketchbook and in each day you're going to draw a fragment of yourself. Take photographs if that's easier and then the image is already flattened and lines which don't really exist in nature are imposed upon the flattened image. Um, draw your ear one day um, and not just any random ear, it's got to be your ear. What makes your ear special? Your knee, your hand, be your own life model. Um, now, what I also suggest to go with this is that you do some life drawing sessions as well um, so you can look at other bodies and, and draw other bodies. And I cannot recommend um, all the Young Nudes online sessions enough. They're brilliant. Um, they're not Zoom, by the way, so you're not on the screen. The, um, they're done through Crowdcast, which is a, a, brilliant, um, a brilliant place to watch things. Um, the HD quality is gorgeous. The music is perfect and it's only £6 a session. So Monday nights, all the young nudes, go and Google it and you won't regret it. So that really um, essentially is my idea, my prompt. As I said, I am consumed in figurative art right now. So everything I do sort of refers back to it. So in my current slightly disheveled cognitive state, it really kind of is all I've got. So, um, yes, join me in the figurative exploration. Drawing and art has afforded moments of still and complete contemplation over lockdown, allowing me to focus in on a moment and stay there without this furious reaching for something else, for something out there untenable. Um, there have been failures, lots. <laughs> There's been balled up paper, days and days days of bad drawing um, and art when I've thought and worried am I wasting my time but my heart I know I'm not. We all are better people when we express ourselves in the creative realm. We owe that creation to ourselves and to the world around us. As Seneca said it is not because things are difficult that we do not dare it is because we do not dare that things are difficult. So even if you don't draw do you know in fact especially if you don't draw, I encourage you to try this. Go on, just start with a thumb. If any of you want to chat figure drawing or want more info about all the young nudes, just message me on Instagram or email details at the end. Um, I'm still learning. I've still got loads to learn, but I'm happy to chat about the process. Just a final thought um, on your sketching fragments of me project. Don't worry about fancy materials or things like that. Uh, a really nice thing to do actually for drawings is to tea stain some pages and then draw in pencil or pen when they're dry. Do use a few different materials and textures as you might get bored if you're just using a pencil. So I recommend a pencil, ballpoint pen, charcoal and maybe a couple of coloured pencils. 
I was also thinking about thread. Um, I was going to do that. You could sew into the paper to create some interest. Coffee and tea make really good, really lovely stains for paper. Um, just play about with it. And you get a really nice texture as well when the paper sort of crumples up. I made some sketchbooks a wee while ago out of old novels of mine. They had been damaged when we moved house. Um, a boiler busted and they got all damp, the box on it. They're really good books. So it was kind of unfortunate. But um, they were sort of a bit damp and, and yucky. So I had torn them up and dried them out and made them into sketchbooks, which I just sort of put the paper together, trimmed down and um, sewed them up the middle. And they're really, really lovely to draw. And there's something nice about the book pages. It just really takes... Um, graphite if you use a really soft graphite pencil and really takes um, charcoal really well as well I got a really lovely um, sort of um, tone with them and also there's something about drawing on um, the pages that already have type on them there's no blank page there's no terror they, they, they are easier to approach and even if you just do like a little doodly I don't know like a little foot or something a little bit of yourself in a corner of them because they already have all that print on they just are interesting automatically and I was thinking I'm going to do this I think is like sew some colored thread maybe some red thread and then along with the charcoal onto the um the, the, the pages will look really beautiful to bind the books I made out of um old books I just used cardboard from Amazon package deliveries. I know bad me, Amazon. Anyway, it's a pandemic. So um, I just used cardboard from those and I sort of stuck in the first and the last page, which kind of held them. It's actually a really, really simple um, process and really satisfying. And if you sort of have a wee look on YouTube, I'm sure there's videos and things, or you can message me and I will send you a little note of my processes. Um, so yeah, that's it. Um, draw more basically and <laughs> um, also I think that maybe if your writing practice is kind of stuck um, a combination of um, sketching and writing words around it like I said my writing practice has become really kind of a wee bit stuck over the, the winter and um, I, I've tried to put in just even a few words with my pictures um, failed a little bit but I have tried I'm going to try again so the sort of images with the words as well um, it, it makes it sort of and it doesn't really need to be a thing you're not writing a novel or a book or you know painting a huge picture you're just putting little elements in a sketchbook that you've made yourself which is um, just wee bits wee bits and, and it feels good and you'll have a really beautiful little thing hopefully at the end of it I want to just leave you with a little quote um, from David Bayes from the book Art and Fear it's on artist materials um, and it's just something I was reading recently and I thought it kind of spoke to what I've just been speaking about. So, materials. The materials of art, like the thumbnail sketch, seduce us with their potential. The texture of the paper, the smell of the paint, the weight of the stone, all cast hints and innuendos beckoning our fantasies. In the presence of good materials, hopes grow and possibilities multiply, and with good reason. Some materials, materials are so readily charged and responsive that artists have turned to them for thousands of years and probably will for thousands more. For many artists, the response to a particular material has been intensely personal, as if the material spoke directly to them. It's been said that as a child, Pablo Casals knew from the first moment he heard the sound of a cello that it was his instrument. But where materials have potential, they also have limits. Ink wants to flow, but not across just any surface. Clay wants to hold shape, but not just any shape. 
And in any case, without your active participation, their potential remains just that, potential. Materials are like elementary particles, charged but indifferent. They do not listen in on your fantasies. They do not get up and move in response to your idle wishes. The blunt truth is they do precisely what your hands make them do. The paint lays exactly where you put it. The words you wrote, not the ones you needed to write or thought, or thought about writing, are the only ones that appear on the paper. In the words of Ben Shan, the painter who stands up, stands before an empty canvas, must think in terms of paint. What counts in making art is the actual fit between the contents of your head and the qualities of your materials. The knowledge you need to make that fit comes from noticing what really happens as you work. So I just thought that was quite good quote there on materials. Um, so here we are at the end of a podcast um, that I sort of limped a little bit through sometimes, um, but got there in the end. Thank you so much for listening. Um, a huge, huge, huge thank you to Natasha Kinzella for sharing with us her wonderful poems. Um, you can get in touch with me on Discovery on Instagram, sorry, at discovery.stage. You can find my art account at the right condition um, on Instagram as well. You can email me on discoverystage0 at gmail.com too. So um, thank you for listening. It's really good to be back and I feel like I'll warm up to it now. And um, yes, definitely get going again. It was a bit nerve wracking, the thought of starting this. Um, but I do love podcasting and chatting with you all. So um, have a great month. Speak to you um, soon and stay creative. Much love. Bye.